Want to start your own podcast? Anchor makes it super easy. Here's what you need to know about Anchor. Most importantly, it's free. Second, there are tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor distributes your podcast to numerous platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and more. You can make money from your podcast with minimum listenership, and it's everything you need to make a quality podcast all in one place. So what are you waiting for? Download the free Anchor app or visit anchor.fm to get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Where's the Funding podcast with your host, Michelle McKenzie. And the Where's the Funding podcast is a platform that demystifies entrepreneurship and the fog around funding. Today's episode, we're going a little bit beyond funding to talk more about the entrepreneurship space and finding purpose. And with us today is my guest, Umalara Uwamedimo, who is a medical doctor who transitioned from being a doctor into entrepreneurship and is using her platform to help other women in medicine transition. Umalara, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much, Michelle. I'm super excited to be here. I'm, I'm really excited to get into the nitty gritty with you. <laughs> I am excited to hear all about it. So just do a little introduction, tell uh, the audience who you are, what led you to this purpose? Because this is your second purpose, right? Your original <laughs> purpose started in medicine and how and why you made the transition and why you're helping other women who are in the medical field to make that transition. Yeah, so I, um, hello everyone. My name is Omolara Thomas Uwemedimo. I am a New York, I like to say New Yorker. Nigerian. New York in the house. Exactly. Queens girl Niger- over here. Queens over here. By exactly. way of Jamaica. <laughs> okay. Okay. Nigeria. Like, so I like to say that because it already gives people an idea of okay, where is this person coming from? So New Yorker, um, daughter of Nigerian immigrants, Brooklyn born. And also um, really, I, I like to say that, that I think the biggest thing for me has been moving from, like you said, as a pediatrician working for over 16 years, caring for children and space where I wouldn't say I have two different purposes. I just think now the mission around how I do it is different in terms of just ensuring that I really help people thrive. And that is, I would say the core right now, I work as an empowerment coach, a work-life integration mentor, and I've been moving more now into business strategy just as kind of a natural evolution in supporting Black women doctors who finally find their purpose and then are like, my purpose is to create a space that's never existed. Okay, let's help you build it. So that is, so that is the work that I do. I love it. So so tell us what brought you to this point. How did yes. you sort of fall into this purpose or walk into this purpose, this realization that there is a different way for you to use what you were doing in the medical space and continue to sort of transition that purpose into something else that feels better to you? Yeah, so I um, purely my my biggest work or my biggest theme in my life has really been around injustice or inequity and fairness. And I think it comes from, you know, having summers and having vacations in Nigeria and really like being like, why 
why are you living like this? And you're in my family. We're the same, you know, and I'm living so differently. And what is the reason for that? And just feeling really unsettled with that. And so a lot of my initial work came from trying to figure out like ways that I could utilize medicine to help to bridge that gap. And so I became what we call a global health pediatrician. So I did a lot of work in sub-Saharan Africa, the Caribbean and Africa, and finally like settled down, came back <laughs> by like 20, like 2007 or so with like, cause literally during medical school residency, right after residency, I left and went to Africa to live there. And then finally my mom was like, can you just please come home? And so I came and I ended up being an academic pediatrician. So that means you're not only seeing patients, but you're, you're a professor. So I was a professor teaching at our MPH school, master's in public health. I was also running a global health program. I was also doing research um, and I was also training residents. And so basically I was doing all of that flawlessly until I wasn't. And what, yeah, I'm sure you made your Nigerian parents very proud. Oh my gosh. What you part of that know. was not working for you? You already know. I think the thing that I hadn't realized was I was always putting other people's priorities above my own. I had been socialized pretty much to do that, right? Like the good Nigerian girl, the good, like just woman, the, the appropriate, like strong black woman we have to give and not go 100%, but go 200%. And I um, ended up in 20, late 2018, burning out is what the terminology is. I actually think it's when we finally decide to stop tolerating the trauma that we endure <laughs> inside. Let's, 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 let's pause for a second yeah. and just reflect on that. Yeah, I want you to say that again, and I want you to say it slowly slowly yes so i initially thought i was burnt out i now believe that i believe that's a misnomer i believe it's actually when we stop tolerating the trauma in our workplaces that we've been so used to enduring that is what i believe <laughs> that feels so powerful to me when we stop tolerating the trauma. And there's so many of us who have become so conditioned to accepting and tolerating that trauma that we don't even realize that that's what we're doing and that there could be a different choice. Yeah. Like there is another way to go about life and still be okay, still be able to take care of yourself and still be able to provide for yourself and your family financially. <laughs> I, yes. I honestly believe it was like I was good but what I was doing was I was robbing the world of really being great I was robbing my family of being great I was robbing like I was good in terms of just being able to be there but when I was able to hunker down and say finally after after what transpired which I'll share I was finally able to say, you know what, these are the things that I really want to focus on. These are the things I would regret not seeing, not doing, not becoming, not creating. And I'm going to live my life towards those things. And it could evolve. It could evolve. But I'm going to live my life towards those things where I feel purposeful. But I also feel that I am not 
like I have to remember there's this concept called Ubuntu where it's I am because we are yeah. right and mm -hmm. I have to remember that me not pouring into myself has drastic ramifications for my family for even the people that I'm serving and so that idea of pouring into ourselves as being selfish it, it really has transformed for me where it's like if I don't create those boundaries, the thing that I am supposed to give, it pales into comparison what I would be able to, you know, what I would be able to give um, if I just had more time and more confidence in knowing that I'm okay, like to, to, to put those things first. So that sounds all nice and great for you. Now tell me how you were able to communicate this to your parents and other people in your mm -hmm. life who just probably see what you're about to do as just crazy like who would give yeah. up being a medical doctor to go <laughs> do this kind of nebulous thing about passion and purpose and serving yeah. that we don't really know what that's going to look I, like I, I'm still I'm still like what are you doing Omolar? I'm still <laughs> but I think um really I had no choice so what happened when I found out I was burnt out quote unquote <laughs> which was really the top like not tolerating um, that was in 2018. I took a step back from clinical medicine, but because I had been so used to normalizing busy um, exhaustion as this sign of excellence, right? So used to normalizing those things that I just filled up that time and basically ended up hospitalized in May of 2019. Um, I went from nauseous and dizzy on Monday to being unable to walk in in a wheelchair on Friday. And, and please mm -hmm. pause on that. Yeah. And say again, busy and exhausted is yes. not excellence correct because there's so many people who you know that hustle the hustle grind mentality that you're doing all this work and you know you'll sleep when you're dead that's no. just oh, we no. just we just need to just get rid of that mentality yeah. it doesn't work because yeah. you're a doctor you know that the body was designed to do certain things and when you try to when you try it it will try you back and I think this is the like the story behind because that was the evolution of what I learned, which I didn't know when I first ended up hospitalized, which was that connection between the chronic trauma and stress that I had endured and how that had basically resulted in a physical manifestation, right? And so I ended up being diagnosed with multiple sclerosis after being hospitalized, which is an autoimmune brain disorder with, I had a brain lesion sitting there in my brain <laughs> that I didn't know anything about. And basically it had caused my right side of my body to just not function appropriately. So I received my medicines. My work was taken away from me, given to five different people. And <laughs> did you hear what she said? She said five different people took over her work portfolio. That means that this woman was doing the work of five people. It took yes. five people to replace her. Yeah. Continue. <laughs> Look, I'm hoping people do. I hope people listen so they don't replicate the madness that was my life. And during that time, I didn't know what to do with myself. And so I started like just reading, like, how did I get to this point? Of course, when you're diagnosed with something, you're trying to think about, especially as a doctor, okay, what do I do differently? And really what it came down to was this whole discussion about stress and how it causes this immune dysregulation or the, the your immune system just kind of goes haywire. And if anyone can think about it, it's like many of us have been living 
in um, like a tiger has been chasing us like and having that happen every day and so a lot of times something stressful happens then it goes away and then your body and your immune system can go down back to normal but if going into work if wondering how people are going to think if you're aggressive if doing you know if feeling like am i doing it right all the time is showing up that's stressful that causes your immune system to continue to have this this space of not being able to normalize. And that ends up being problematic to so many parts of our system. I have friends who are have high blood pressure, who are high, black professionals. I have friends who are in, more infertile. I have friends, friends who have worse metabolism and a bunch of friends who have autoimmune disorders. And we're on the black women, you know, we're one of the only subgroups that as our income and our education goes higher, usually what you'll see is health outcomes get better. That doesn't happen for us. And the reason is because of this out, outer shell of the idea of what we call weathering, which is basically our body aging faster than it should be. What we know from science, I just want to share that, is that telo, there's a concept called telomeres, right, which are the ends of your chromosomes. And they actually can tell you like, um, the longer they are, the more kind of life years you have, the shorter they are, they're, you know, more aged. What we know is that for Black women, our telomeres are much shortened, are much more shorter, and actually on average seven years um, older than a white woman our age, if you compare it. And so the issue around this is really when I decided to do purpose work, like I said, my goal was to help people thrive. And it is not solely about, oh, I'm going to feel better. This is a life or death issue for us. So that is kind of the work that I, I am really focused on now. Can I just say, damn? Yeah, say it. Do we not have enough to deal with? <laughs> but now, like, shortened life expectancy, mm-hmm. potentially? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So tell me how you're now helping yeah. women in the medical field to build a business without burnout. Tell us yes. what this looks like now. I know you're very excited. I know you just came off of a big launch. So walk <laughs> us into the whole thing. Yeah. So for the past, so I am CEO of a, a company called Melanin and Madison, right? And the when I started, it really was um, trying to find a community, trying to build a community that I wish I had um, that would have protected me from, <laughs> from everything that transpired. And so we really focused on work-life integration and empowerment of women to live their best lives and kind of separate themselves from this concept that Emily Nagowski and Amelia Nagowski in their book Burnout talk about as human giver syndrome, right? And the idea that we're not able to be human beings, we are only allowed in our society to be human givers. And so I did a lot of work. I did a lot of workshops called Pivot Into Your Purpose. And the goal was to really help women who were feeling stuck, frustrated, or overwhelmed in medicine to shift over to now being like, you know what? I don't have to live like this. And what is it that I'm called to do? Because I've basically just been doing what everyone's told me to do and never thought about that. During that time, we were able to have a number of women come into our program, um, which is really a 12-month program called Empowered, where they start to 
uncover, do self-discovery, start to manage and create new skills and systems and self-preservation, um, start to build up their support network and create the strategy towards building their vision. What I did, and I thought that was great. And it was like, they, we have a community that's thriving of many black women in medicine. But what we were finding was at a certain point, once the self-discovery happened, once they were like, this is my purpose. And once the empowerment happened that I'm What do I do with it now? What, what, yeah, what, what happens? Um, I'm ready. I have the idea. Okay. And we were like, okay, all right. So in the background, we were kind of doing entrepreneurship support and strategy for them. And then we were like, you know what? Okay, fine. Let's like really hunker down and create an actual incubator for these women so that they can work collectively together mm -hmm. from their idea, put together what their unique value proposition is, start to actually put together what the roadmap is that their client goes through, get the idea on how to put together their assets for marketing, sales, and delivery and do the um, market research to make sure that they have a population that's ready for what they want and that has co-created what it is that they're offering. And so it's, a, it's this 12-week incubator that is so exciting to me to be able to create. And we started off like just introducing it with a workshop that we did recently. And it was beautiful to see women like say that now I feel like this is doable. Like, I don't feel my idea is unrealistic. I do feel like this can actually happen. And the more of us that are taking these amazing ideas and not diminishing them or dismissing them as, oh, that can't happen and putting them out, the more space that we have for one, more jobs, more ingenuity and more modeling, right? Where other people are like, oh, you're doing that? too and that's what I'm really excited about in this new phase where we're really shifting towards helping black women in medicine build their build their tables which I know are going to be just great foundations for others I love it and Umalara has not said this but within a year she has grown a six-figure business within 12 months. So it's <laughs> yeah. possible to show you this was a woman who was doing the job of five medical doctors, right? <laughs> and within a year, she has stood up what is off to being a very successful business, not just from the financial standpoint, but in terms of helping the clients, you know, the target market to really be able to launch and step into their purpose and be yeah. financially whole and stable while doing that. So tell us, about your um, how to finance a new business venture. What 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 sort of support are you giving your clients about yeah. how they finance these business ventures that they're now amped and ready to step into? Correct. So I do. So I I usually like really think about kind of what do they have at their disposal, and I also think about the fact that as you're moving into this space, I talk about certain power moves that you need to make while you're in your current career. And a few of those include really starting now that you realize you've evolved and this is not going to be this place that you stay, you want to say, you know what, I've given so much to these people. You get to be my investor in my business. Mm. And what that means is- So really let your current job be your future investor. <laughs> let it be your future investor. And what that means is not, not doing work, not doing your work during your job, 
but starting to think about what's the least amount of time that I could potentially like remove from the work that I'm doing. Meaning I went to 80, I went from hundred percent to 80%. Now it made my, like I was trembling doing it. Right. But I needed to have that time carved out. So then I could also have legal representation to make sure that everything that I was building while I was still at this place was actually mine. So lawyer let's let's can can we talk about that the the importance of having proper legal information and potentially representation to make sure that the foundation that you are building your financial future on is solid maybe Mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about you know your process what you did yeah so I think as soon as I so basically the way that I I want to be clear being someone who had spent almost two decades in academia, the idea of doing entrepreneurship scared me to death. And I was literally clinging on. I was trying to find any opportunity that would keep me from it. And basically God closed all the doors and was like, and people were telling me, oh, Malara, maybe you should leave. That was during the conversations that I was trying to stay. And so when that happened, I said, okay, what is it that I want to create? right? And did some stillness and reflection. And then I went, the second thing I did before website, LLC, all this stuff was I went to a lawyer, a contract lawyer brought my contract and was like, I want to probably take away about 20% of my time to do this separate work. What in this contract is keeping me from it? And how, what do I need to negotiate in it in order to make sure that work is mine and solid? And that process took about like six months or so potentially to make sure that that was there. Now, that didn't mean there are certain things I could do, which was like, you know, getting clear on who the the client is, like thinking about the problem. But in terms of putting up like web material or other things like that, I did none of that until I was like clear that, okay, this entity, Omar MD Health Solutions Consultants, that is going to be mine and nothing that I create is going to at any point be robbed of me by this institution that I am working for. So that's just really important. And that can take three to six months sometimes in terms of the, depending on who your institution is negotiating, what that looks like. The nice thing about it was I, I complemented it with reducing my time. So I had to have a new contract and that was the like linchpin to help create a new contract that made sense with this new endeavor. And just to make it clear that the need for legal advising and support continues through your entrepreneurship journey. Girl, girl, listen, I just sent another contract, another contract that I was having with um, a new client. And I sent that to my lawyer and I was like, "I, I need, I need you. And it's just important to have you know, that person that is able to that. I just want us to think about when we move into entrepreneurship, I think one of the big mindset shifts is moving from spending to investing and understanding how much you're putting into something and how much it is preventing you from losing (laughs) later on or or how much it is going to bring you later on, right? And so thinking about it like that. That's a great point because- 
You know, sometimes people want to get something for nothing. And sometimes they say, you know, you get what you pay for. So if this is important to you and it's a foundational part of your business, especially things like contracts, Mm -hmm. that is the difference between your your profit and Mm -hmm. what you're doing. So you don't want to do anything that's going to mess with your money. So make sure that that is secure and straight and you're getting into contracts that are fully legal and beneficial to you not where you are on the losing side of that agreement. So it's a key thing to make sure that you are investing in that because it's necessary as you go through your business. You can't get around Mm -hmm. contracts when you're doing business. A few other things to think about as well that I wish I had thought about earlier was the amount of IP that I had just given to my institution because I hadn't thought I didn't have that that um, IP meaning intellectual intellectual property. property yes so tools that I had created like you know surveys things like that that you know could have been now licensed to them rather than just like and in in academics like in your contract that's kind of a part of it but if you're anticipating you know this is something that I'm going to create and I could I think we just need to have that entrepreneurial spirit inside and think of ourselves as entrepreneurs already and think about, okay, this is something that's coming out of my mind. Is this something, if I don't stay here, that I would want to like get to other places and could potentially monetize? And if so, then that is also a discussion with, you know, an intellectual property lawyer and thinking about what kind of things you want to create within your contract. Um, So it's just just some for those who are earlier or kind of in their space, but do a lot of entrepreneurial things, creating programs, creating things like that. It's really important to start to to have that mindset, you know, in terms of thinking about the what you could make lucrative later on. <laughs> no, that's a fantastic point. So getting back to the financing, the new business mm-hmm. venture. Yeah. So let's so once we have our legal stuff in place. I think the biggest thing, and also having some bandwidth around what is the time period that you can actually realistically do. And this is extremely- Your important. runway, people. You have to get your run- runway. <laughs> exactly. So you can like charge up and like take yes. off. Yes, yes. And so I think one of the big things also was utilizing this time. A lot of us are very focused on the LLC and website and all of that. I need to know, is this problem something that people find important to solve and how valuable it is? So one of the things that I really recommend in the runway time is I'm very much about purpose-led businesses. Like, yes, people can do other things, or I'm very much grounded in the fact that, is this your purpose? Is this something that you're connected to? Um, And that allows for me to now be able to put an infrastructure around it that says, okay, these are the things that this person needs. These are the pain points that are are the issues for this person. These are the things that are the gain for them. Let me now look at this problem and ask my network about what it is that they need from like a solution to solve that. And that is the emphasis, that is the like groundwork or foundation of whatever your business will be because you need to one, not only solve a problem, but have a unique value add. And that work is the the initial work that we often don't do. We kind of have the idea, but we haven't thought about what's the client transformation? What's the unique value add? 
what is the roadmap for that, that client and what makes the most sense in terms of our lifestyle to be able to solve it. So being really niche about it and saying, I, you know, this is a big problem. There's a lot of solutions. This is how I can uniquely do it. And it's only going to include this and this because I need to sleep because I need to do this. And because I don't, I want to work 20 hours, whatever that is, you create that. So making sure we're building in our boundaries early and so that then as we move and as we have new clients, we already know, okay, this has to shift. This has to change. Some of that looked like for me, starting to reduce my one-to-one and starting to do more group because I was realizing some of the boundaries I had placed in the initial were starting to get tested. Mm -hmm. So the financing and the funding of this is really around if you build that so quickly, like if you build that value proposition, you will get clients much quicker. I got clients much quicker than I had imagined. And I think the other piece of this is understanding that you can, you don't have to build everything out before you get clients. Let your first clients co-create it, pay you while you grow, but co-create it with you and know that then like you can basically finance that, that project with them in mind. So most of your clients are self-financing with their own funds to launch and get off the ground. Yeah. Yeah. And they're doing it. And then I have a few actually, um, who are starting practices who, um, basically it's very funny. We were able to really start to put together, okay, what's your exact summary? What's your one pager helping them do that? Um, so that they can present themselves. But once again, it required them having that client transformation framework, all of that stuff. And they were able actually to get investing and funding, um, from, um, angel investors really quickly for those larger topics and also starting to do deep dives into kind of, we help them with deep dives into, okay, what are the potential funding, you know, opportunities. And so that's been great starting helping them start conversations, but be prepared for those kind of conversations. So I would say, Michelle, the other big thing outside of investing in a lawyer is investing in support and coaching from somebody who has already reached the milestone that you are looking for. And I think a lot of us slow down and then maybe end before we've even started because we are like holding our money tight and we're not recognizing the bandwidth of what we could create with just that small investment. Because you got to believe in flow. You got to let that money flow out so it could flow back to you. Because if you're holding on to it, you're really holding on to your potential to be able to grow because you have to water that seed for it to grow. How are you trying to offer something to someone and there's nothing behind your offer? (laughs) <laughs> like, like you have to invest in what's you behind have, your offer. And you have to believe too. You like to be- you gotta look at this thing and be like, oh my God, sign me up. Like that's the thing about like you should be able to sell to your own self. Like, exactly. ooh, that sounds good. Sign me up. But you have to invest in it to get it to that point. And and investment isn't just financial, it's all of the backend work that you're talking about Mm -hmm. to get it to the point where you have uh, an offer that can go to market that someone can see it and say, 
this is what I've been waiting for. Yeah. Because I'm pretty sure that with your market, there are lots of women in the medical field who are medical doctors who are feeling um, the same way that you were feeling mm-hmm. and dealing with some of the same stresses and trauma and overwork and exhaustion and all of those things. But they were waiting for you. And if you Mm. didn't show up, you couldn't rescue them from a situation that they've kind of been waiting to be rescued from. Right. And if you think of it that way, like who can you rescue from a situation that they've been waiting for you Mm -hmm. to rescue them from, then why would you want to hold on to your coins when releasing those coins creates the opportunity for those coins to be multiplied? Exactly. And to multiply purpose. And financial wealth and the kind of life that your customers are waiting for into their life. Yeah, I I often say your purpose is somebody's promise. And I often say that because I think that, like you said, there are, it's not an easy road for you to now, James Baldwin talks about that quote, right? Like, you know, the place I fit, you know, I will have to like create it, right? It's not. It's not something that exists and not many of us are able to move into that road where we see like the spaces, like we see ourselves being confined and restricted and we're like, I'm going to actually have to create this space. And when we do, we have to understand that one, there's, if you're feeling compelled to do that or come, or there's a tension, the reason why you're now doing this has to be like front and center and forgetting the me and all of the issues like, you know, oh, I remember the first time I had to do like something live and I was like, oh my God, I hate my voice. And I did a podcast and all can, of these things. Yes. Yes. Can I tell you about that? I, <laughs> being a podcaster and I had the same issue coming and I'm like, oh, my voice is so annoying. Who wants to listen to this? But I had to just get over that because I have something important to say. And somebody, I don't know, like, it's so funny every time I meet someone and then they're like, oh my gosh, I listened to your podcast. And I'm just like, I keep forgetting people listen to the podcast and, and, and people are like, I so needed to hear that. I loved when you like, people can quote certain things. And so I think that knowing, and that was actually how my business started. So we haven't talked about audience generation and really thinking about, you know, everyone's a lot of times working on the offer and the product, but not working on having connections and networking with people who potentially can give you insight into that and then putting them on your wait list. Like, Hey, you know, after I thank you for this information. If I do figure out like the solution to this, should I notify you and starting to build that at the same time. Right. So having the market research be actually the way that you build your potential list of people, because no one is awesome if you got something nice. Now, who you going to give it who to? Who wants like, it? Who wants it? Who did you build that for? You didn't ask me about it. And now you're trying to sell it to me, but that's not what I want. <laughs> exactly. So those are, those are really important tenants. And I just believe that, honestly, if we wanted to put it in a nice bun, it really would be about, one, making sure that you have your foundation solid to be able to, to shift. So making sure you have ownership of, your, of what you're creating, making sure that you have a real connection to the problem and thinking about kind of what the solution is that is missing and making sure that you now test that idea 
with actual people in public, you know, to be able to say, hey, does this make sense? What do you think the problem is? What do you think the solution is to really refine your product? And now once you have that, you can start to say, what's the best platform or place I can market this to and start to put those assets together so that now I have my foundation, I have the product, I have the assets, and I have the audience that I didn't realize I had built through that research. And so I'm, I'm able to, to launch and learn. This is not about launching and then getting like billions and billions of dollars. It's about- <laughs> You know, a lot of, because a part of the problem is that we hear all these stories. Oh, I launched and yes. in no time, you know, my audience found me and I, but you know what? It doesn't really happen like that for everyone. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like launch and learn and launch again and learn some more yes. until you like really get it right. Because you are, like you said, you're co-creating with your market, with your audience, yeah. right? Yeah. To really make sure that your offer is right fit for what they really need. You might come into the market with a notion, but then you realize they want more. It's the same thing that happened to you with mm-hmm. your market, right? You came in with a particular offer and now it's, it's evolved into something else because they want more from you. They want more, exactly. Yeah. And we must not be, and that's the same thing that happens in our careers. We must not be arrogant enough to think that when we evolve, we need to think that we need to stay where we are and not evolve because we're the only person who can fix that problem. Let's not be that arrogant, like to not to know that, hey, if I evolve to now supporting women to now move into kind of entrepreneurship, that there aren't people who even I know or people who now I can say, you know what? Or there's maybe something I offer that may not be as high touch, but now can provide the support for work-life integration and all of those things that were really important at that time period for me. And so I think for all of us, even in our careers, many of the doctors are like, I can't leave. My patients will be like, you know, so, and I'm like, so there's, there's no, nobody, no, nobody in this like whole universe, right. That can help take care of these people. No, nobody. But you, but you, only you. <laughs> I guess that leads into what you were talking about. How does that sort of I guess the strong black woman trope, but also what you're just talking about, like only you mm-hmm. are the solution. How does that keep or present um, entrepreneurs from being able to scale to success? Because you're trying to hold on and trying to do everything yourself oh. when what you really need to do is delegate and automate because that's the key to scale. Like yeah. you can't carry all of those water buckets by yourself. You're trying exactly. to fill up a pool. <laughs> and and before delegate, automate, eliminate. So yes. that is the space that I think we forget because we're like, oh, I'm going to create this new program, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, ho, 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 what are we getting rid of? Like, what is it that no longer needs to be in it like, that you're not going to serve? Because if you're saying yes to this, you, you got to say no to something you else, say no so to that you something. can really home in on Correct. saying yes to this. And it would be nice if you know what you're saying no to, because you are, trust me, you are going to say no to things that then you're like, oh, I didn't mean to do. So being intentional and being able to be proactive about this is what I'm no longer serves me no longer. And I need to make the courageous either boundary, the courageous goal, or have the courageous conversation with somebody to eliminate that. Then, like you said, I think we talked about investment into legal and foundational support, investment into the guidance, 
girl, I am not a fan of the solopreneur. That basically kept me six months kind of like, ooh, treading water instead of like zooming and accelerating. And so when I finally like had a good cash flow for me as soon as I could, right? I didn't need to get to six figures. I was like, you know, like, you know, I, I think I was at like a five, between a, a late, a high five figure to six figure or whatever. And you're like, help, I need help. And I was like, help, <laughs> help. Because all you need is two months, two months of being able, like you got some bandwidth about two months to pay somebody, right? Like for that time period, you good, you good. Because what I know is if you have already done the groundwork of identifying what it is that is not in your zone of genius, what it is that you hate, put that together and, be, and are very clear about these are the things that I need you to do right now. Not saying we can give everything, but these are the things that are absolutely just draining my time and giving that to that person with that direction. That was what like literally just like, I was like, oh my God, wait, we need more systems. What's going on in terms of how it really now allowed one for me to take my business more seriously. Mm-hmm because I had to now teach someone how to do something. Because now you get to work on the business and, and not I just work in the business. In the business. Girl, yes. So um, so I think the idea of the strong Black woman and really understanding, and everyone who doesn't know, it's kind of this triad of caregiving without, you know, to your own detriment for everyone else, emotionally suppressing and not being vulnerable And then the third is being super independent and not getting, asking for any support. And I think one of the things that we need to recognize is um, Charlie Gilkey talks about it in his book, um, um, Start Finishing, about a success pack. Who are your guides? Who are your peers to normalize the the thing that you're doing? Who are the supports who are going to hold things down while you move into this space? And who are the beneficiaries? And if you don't have contact in each of those four places, something's going to fall. Something's going to fall. So as we start to conclude this very enlightening conversation, <laughs> let's talk about your transformational framework for simplifying and scaling a business. What does that look like when you roll it out to your clients? Yeah. So um, we, I talked about kind of profit pretty, pretty much because we moved from a profit to a piece framework. So, but the profit piece really is around what is your program, right? And getting very clear about that. What is the roadmap that you are creating in terms of not only, not only for you, but for your clients. So what are the milestones that that client is going to have to go through in order to get to that end point? The O is really about thinking about what are the opportunities that you have, who, and that can happen even while you're at your job. Who are the people I've connected with that like totally one could either be clients, could be champions, could be collaborators, um, could offer that space, right. For this to, for me to get out and get this out to people. Then I think a lot about who is my fan base, right? What am I building? How am I building that fan base in terms of the other people that I'm going to see that, um, that are going to say, yeah, I'm going to start following her. So that has to do with like a lot about platform building. And then what's the interaction? What Mm -hmm. is the constant venue that you want to have something like a podcast, a blog, what is the interaction where you can build that community? And then the T is team. I don't want that to wait until two years later. I want us to think now, even if it's one hour a week and you are like, 
and, and you put in $20 for that person, like one hour a week, whatever it is like that, you need to get into the mindset, not how can I, but who can help like that move from that. And that um, is really important once you started to build out your assets and then also started to kind of say, okay, if you can write down how you can do it, it can be delegated. Mm, correct. Yeah. Malara, thank you so mm. much for bringing all the gems and bringing your whole authentic self to what you do and what you offer to your clients. This was such a very enlightening conversation. And I hope that the listeners get as much out of it as I did. It's very obvious that (laughs) you're very knowledgeable, not just about medicine, but just about what is required for people, but women in particular who are purpose-driven to be able to activate and transform that purpose and to really live the life that they always envisioned living in a way that doesn't break them. Right. And so I would like for you to just conclude with what you said again about burnout so that we can leave people with that thought from you. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And, you know, I just want to make sure that everyone knows, like, once again, I'm definitely someone who's very open to conversation and, you know, you can follow me. That would be great. And, you know, and have those conversations. I'll share all of her contact info in the show notes. So make sure you check out the show notes. So burnout, once again, I have come to a a realization that burnout is not what many of us are thinking, like the problem with ourselves, but it's really for us to stop tolerating the constant workplace trauma that we've been so used to enduring. And with that, I would like to say thanks to everyone for joining us for another episode of the WTF podcast. Um, if you would like to be a guest or sponsor a podcast episode, uh, reach out at where's the funding at gmail.com. You can find us on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google, all the regular places where you stream podcasts. And please subscribe, stream or download, leave a rating or review, share your favorite episodes with family and friends. And make sure you check out the show notes for all of the places where you can follow and find um, Dr. Omalara. And I look forward to you joining me for the next episode.